Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The greatest trick... The devil ever pulled was convincing the world to Open the pot bay doors now. I'm sorry, Dan. I'm afraid I can't do that. What's the most you ever lost in the contest? Go ahead. Make my day. Greetings and salutations, dear listeners. Welcome to the third episode of Black Hole Cinema with your host, Tony Black. We will have uh, two uh, movie film reviews for you today and a new segment which will involve a special guest, which is something I'm uh, hopefully going to be having weekly now. So it won't just be uh, my voice for 40, 45 minutes talking to you. You will actually hear somebody else as well, which is uh, always a good thing. I'd like to thank everyone for listening so far, and if you're downloading this podcast on iTunes or Podomatic, it's much appreciated. Keep listening. If you want to let me know what your thoughts, look me up on Twitter. But thank you, yes, to anyone who is listening, and hopefully you'll enjoy this week's little show. So without further ado, okay, on to our first review this week, it's The Book Thief. Your Majesty. From now on, you call me Mama, yeah? And that lazy kid over there, you call him Papa. Your first book. Are you sure this is yours? It wasn't always mine. Can't you even read yet? Go on! Read one word! I'm not such a good reader myself, you know. We will have to help each other out. Now, I'd heard a lot about The Book Thief in terms of the actual novel, The Source Material, by Marcus Suzak, which had been quite a literary sensation, I believe. And a few people, when I told them I'd go and see The Book Thief, were saying to me, well, the book is, is magnificent. You know, the book is a fantastic novel, and it, was, it really captured the, the idea of Nazi Germany and this girl in the middle of it. And I didn't know anything about the story at all. So I went into this knowing that it's not necessarily exactly my kind of movie anyway. It's not something that I particularly always would would go and watch. I went mainly because I was on a date. <laughs> and my date, I said to my date, I said, what do you want to see? I said, I'm, I'm quite interested in The Monuments Men, which I still haven't got around to seeing at this point. And she said, well, I'd like to see The Book Thief. So combined with that and people telling me, oh, the book is amazing, it surely will be a brilliant film. I thought, okay, let's give it a try. Let's go and see and first off, the first thing to say is, The Book Thief is not a good date movie. <laughs> At all. <laughs> the Book Thief, obviously, is about this young girl 
Liesl Memminger, who is about 10 years old when war breaks out. She lives in this little village in Germany. She's, uh, her mother is a suspected communist, so she has to go on the run. And she ends up in the adopted family of Jeffrey Rush and Emily Watson, a German couple. And she befriends a young boy called Rudy. And then it turns out that Jeffrey Rush and Emily Watson are some of those brave people in Germany who are hiding Jews from Nazi persecution uh, throughout the war. So she ends up befriending this young Jew guy called Max. And he helps her, you know, come to terms with her life and everything around it and, and what she's in the middle of them. Her thirst for understanding and knowledge, which comes through the fact that she she sees the Nazis burning books and she discovers this uh, posh couple with a big library full of books and she goes to read and ultimately starts writing about her experiences. And, you know, that's that's the whole idea, that it's it's the point of view of a young girl in the middle of, of the horror that was the Second World War and specifically what was happening to the Jews and Nazi Germany at the time. At the time, obviously... It, you know, stuff that's been covered so much through so many different angles, you know, through films like Schindler's List for years. Uh, but this was a different kind of viewpoint for it. And so it's potentially something that could be quite powerful and quite moving and quite compelling and quite sad and tragic. And I watched The Book Thief and the only thing I felt was that if I was an insomniac, this would cure me. Because I can't remember the last time I was so bored watching a film and so unmoved by something that really should have got to me. And I sat there thinking, well, am I missing something here? Is there something that I just cannot get and track with that I am missing? And then I started to think, well, no. I mean, about a month ago, I visited Auschwitz. I, I worked with school children and I, I, I went with a trip and visited Auschwitz in Poland. And I saw everything you see at Auschwitz, all the horror of what happened to the Jews and what the Nazis did. And I was moved beyond words. And it was a profound experience in my life going to that place, and deeply enriching. And so the whole horror of the Holocaust and what happens to Jew people and what happened, what happened in, in World War II does move me. Schindler's List made me cry. The book thief wanted to do that, but it never does. It never made me, it didn't make me feel anything except the fact I wish I was next door watching Liam Neeson kill people on a plane, quite frankly. I, that, and that frustrated me because I feel like it missed a massive opportunity to communicate, obviously, what people felt reading that book, what people felt reading Zusak's words, is why it became such a powerful uh, novel. The problem is, well, there's several problems. The first one to say, though, isn't the acting. I've got no issue with the acting. The acting was extremely good in, in many places. The girl who plays uh, Liesel, Sophie Nelis, uh, I think that's how you say her name, she's a fairly, fairly newcomer, and she, she's, she's excellent. She's very, very good. And she really gets across this, uh, this young girl and, and everything she's feeling and, and going through. I've got no issue with her at all. She's, she's excellent, as is... Uh, another uh, young uh, performer, Nico Liersch, who plays Rudy, and he's like quite a confident, slightly cocky, but good-natured young lad who befriends her and falls in love with her, really. Uh, and he's he's great. He's got a lot of charisma about him, and he, he you know, potentially could go quite far. You know, and, and to be fair, Jeffrey Rush and Emily Watson are always good. You know, Jeffrey Rush plays a very deeply caring 
man uh, who loved, fought, loves this young girl and, and is a, re- a really noble performance by him. And Emily Watson, as his wife, he's very much, she's very staunch. She's very, she starts off very much a staunch German woman, you know, very matriarchal, matronly, and then she softens throughout the film. And, and you know, they're both, they're, 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 their accents are a little bit wonky, but they're both, they're both really, really good. There's no denying that, you know. So there's no real issue with the cast itself. But it was the whole presentation of the piece that, that lets it down. Directed by Brian Percival, who I believe has a, a hand in Downton Abbey. And you can understand. Now, I've, I've not really watched Downton Abbey. Again, it's not my kind of thing. It's not my cup of tea at all. But from what I have seen of it, it's very... It's, obviously, it's very stiff upper lip because it's British and it's very stagey. And that, that's the problem with The Book Thief, you know. It's very stagey. It would make an excellent stage play. It really would. And I, it, it may have been a stage play, I don't know. If it hasn't been, I'm sure it will be, or it could be. Because it, it's very slow-moving, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. You know, slow-moving films can be just as compelling as ones that are going at 100 miles an hour. But this is slow-moving to the point where you, you're wanting something to happen. You're wanting something to move. You're wanting to feel something, and you don't. And I think it's because Percival directs with such a such a distance and such a very sort of, you know, period drama kind of feel that he doesn't get any emotion. He can't squeeze any emotion out of the script, which which is is passable. You know, I don't, I don't think that it really gets into the characters enough. I don't think it really brings them alive. Percival's direction, however good the acting is, it doesn't make you really care a massive amount. And he focuses more on the visual side. And, and you know, he he wants this to be some kind of moving, slightly harrowing fairy tale. Because it starts with this panorama through the clouds, with the voice of death, the actual literal narration of death. And death, as narrated by Roger Allen, who's an excellent actor, and his voice is instantly familiar. He narrates the the story. However, he he narrates it about four times across a two-hour-plus running time, to the point where it'll go a good 45 minutes, and then suddenly he chips in again with something quite cryptic and enigmatic. And it's good, don't get me wrong, it's, it's, it's interesting what, they, what they're thinking of with death and, and the whole idea of death. But it never works. It doesn't, it doesn't fit. It's very incongruous. And you, you, you feel like that they never could quite make work the combination of the slightly whimsical fairy tale aspect and how it's shot, you know, it's beautiful, like snowy capped vistas. And, you know, it's almost like you, you half expect Liesl at one point to open a cupboard and she finds a magical, magical mystery land or something like that. It's got that kind of feel to it, but it doesn't connect. It doesn't make this ethereal notion of, of that death is following these people and he's trying to, you know, sort of control their destiny in a way. And this slightly supernatural element, it doesn't, kill, it doesn't work. Maybe it works in the book. I don't know. It doesn't work on film. They can't get the two to mesh. And the other problem really is that Percival doesn't really have the balls to portray the real horror of, of the war. There are hints of it. You know, you get the odd, there's the odd scene of, of, of a Nazi beating down a man because he's he said something out of, out of turn or, you know, family men being conscripted and having to go off to war and a really chilling, creepy scene where Liesl is singing in a choir uh, with lots of other girls and it, it pans back, pulls back and she's singing in the Hitler Youth, and there's big Nazi swastikas behind, and they're singing a really sort of upbeat song about Germany's, you know, future. And it, it's it's really quite unnerving. And that was the only point. That was the, in fact, that was the only point I felt something. I was sitting there thinking, oh. And I said to my date, I said that that was a bit creepy, because it it is. It's seeing that, you know, and 
that was the only point where I think they got slightly into what could have been done and what would have made this a lot more of an interesting film if Percival had had the, the stones to actually get more into the, the real horror of this. And it, it doesn't happen. It never happens. It just poodles along, you know, and it's, it's trying to focus more on tugging the heartstrings and making you reach for the tissues and, and weeping because of, of the sadness of the whole thing. And I just didn't. I, I, I appreciate the tragedy of it all, but I just couldn't, I, I just couldn't feel anything. I was, I was, I was turned off. It, what, it wasn't that it was a bad movie and it was very, very nicely made. You know, it was well acted, but I didn't care. I didn't care. And then it ends very abruptly. You know, suddenly it's, it goes from what feels almost like at the, at the end of a second act beat, which you expect a whole... I, I thought there's going to be a whole sequence now where Liesl goes and does something in particular that connects to the, to the supposedly the main relationship in the, in the film, which is with the, the Nazi, uh, the, the, the Jew hiding from the Nazis. Although that's never really... That's, that, that doesn't really work either because there's lots of these different relationships and one isn't given precedence over the other. And this whole kind of third act that I quickly sort of imagined might happen doesn't happen. It just very br- abruptly ends. And I went, oh, okay. Why, why didn't they do that? You know, why didn't they go down that road? It seemed to be almost leading to that. And it doesn't go there. And so I, I, I finished. And I, I, I went, well, visually arresting, beautiful in its own little way, but incredibly staid and incredibly Hollywood and incredibly dull quite often, frankly. So my advice is, if you are interested in seeing a really moving account of what happens to Jews in the Second World War, go back and watch Schindler's List again. And if you want really the proper experience of The Book Thief, I imagine go and read the book, because I imagine that's way better than this film. Words are life, Lisa. All those pages, they're for you to fill. Okay, welcome to the next segment of Black Hole Cinema, which is a brand new little concept that I've come up with based on conversations with some friends, in which I've decided every week I'm going to get a personal friend on to talk about their favourite movie and it doesn't necessarily have to be the the greatest movie they've ever seen but it's going to be their favourite movie and they're going to convince me if I haven't seen it and you why you should watch that movie because let's be honest there are some films that you've probably never seen and you don't have any intention of seeing and it will be interesting to see if somebody can come on and say right you've not seen that what are you doing let's sort it out so the first person I've blackmailed, paid off, encouraged, take your pick, whichever, to come on is my friend Luke Asquith. Welcome. All right. <laughs> bit, uh, bit daunting being the first, but you know. Exciting though. You roll with it. Set, I'll set the standard high. You have. You've set the standard high <laughs> and uh, everyone's got to match up to it now. And they've got mm. to match up to your choice of film, Luke. Um, well, I don't think that's going to be possible. <laughs> So let's let's start off by talking about your choice of film, which is Mean Girls. Mean Girls. <laughs> the first one, not the second one. The second one didn't happen. Oh, the, what there was there was a sequel. Yeah, but it didn't happen. We oh, okay. pretend it didn't happen. We're gonna erase Mean Girls two from 
the timeline of movies. Yeah. Are we? Okay. That's it. I, I, I wasn't aware there even was a sequel. <laughs> there was a director DVD. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. must be good then. Uh, <laughs> mean Girls then, of course, was a uh, about 10 years ago, wasn't it? it was a, uh, 10 years this year. 10 years this year? Oh, okay. Yeah. 10-year um, anniversary then. And am I right in thinking it's a, a teen uh, comedy? Yeah, teen comedy um, aimed at, you know, the, the typical 12 to 15-year-old tweenage girls. And uh, here's me, a 26-year-old man, <laughs> saying it's my favourite film. <laughs> hey, yeah. there are plenty of films that are aimed at children. <laughs> so I, I watched Beauty and the Beast the other day, and it made me, like, it was the best thing ever in the world. So <laughs> I'm quite happy to, yeah. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what the story is of Mean Girls? Well, the basic story is uh, your typical new girl at school, um involved with all the clicks, uh, becomes popular, and then learns a life lesson by the end of it. But, uh, that, that, that's, that's it in a nutshell. For the for the average moviegoer, that'd be it. Yeah. But I uh, saw quite a lot more than that, so that's why it's one of my favourite films. Um, there's a lot deeper stuff than just the last night. The, the trailer really doesn't suit the film the way I see the film which I know a couple of people have seen have said the same, so... Well, what is, um, what is, the, tra- what is the trailer? The, the trailer's more of the... Like, well, there's one scene that I'm convinced was filmed just for the trailer that wasn't actually meant to be part of the film, um, <laughs> where they're walking down a corridor and Lindsay Lohan goes, ass over tit into a bin. <laughs> um, but it just doesn't <laughs> suit the rest of the film. <laughs> uh, I'm convinced that moments like that were filmed just for the trailer to make it appeal more to the target audience. Was, um, that, was that scene not in the film then? Uh, yeah, it was in the film, but it's really out of place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't fit. But like I say, they had to appeal to the target audience, so I can understand why they did stuff like that. Well, the target audience, I'm guessing, is teenage teenage girls, really. Uh, yeah. Um, because, I mean, even even now, I mean, I, I work in a, a school, and I was on a, a trip recently, and one of the uh, kids is like, uh, 15, 16, had an iPad. And I, I, I heard on the coach someone saying, oh, what are you watching? And she went, oh, Mean Girls. Now, she <laughs> she would have been uh, five. five when that yeah. came out. So she probably wouldn't have seen Mean Girls that young, although these days she <laughs> probably did. Um, but, yeah, so it's still 10 years on. It's still clearly got a following. It's still got a big following. Um, you know, it's still highly relevant. You're, you, I hear people, mainly, uh, probably because of the people I hang around with but I know people that still quote it on a daily basis uh, still talk about it still watch it it's mm. it's just one of those things that's still still around 10 years later but what do you think that is? it's a very witty script it was written by Tina Fey um, adapted oh. from from a book mm. but it is highly quotable it's quite funny in its deliverance yeah, the, the lead actresses all gave really good performances. It's just a bit of a shame when you look at the uh, career trajectories. Uh, Lindsay Lohan was obviously on the way up quite high, but now she's at the bottom. Yeah. Um, and then you've got people like Rachel McAdams and Amanda Seyfried who had the sporting roles that have overshadowed her and now are getting the leading roles in, um, mm. particularly in Amanda Seyfried's case, quite big films. Well, I was going to um, say that uh, Rachel McAdams has, has done well, but she hasn't quite yeah. taken off, has she yet? I mean, or, no. or whether she will, I don't know. But she's she's kind of 
you know, she, but, and, but Amanda Seyfried, yeah, I mean, you know, she's done stuff like Mamma Mia and then Lovelace and all this stuff where she's mm-hmm. starting to build, yeah, even more of a rep, so, as a good actress. So it's interesting how that happens, isn't it? So it's got a good, a good base cast, really, doesn't it? Yeah, um, it's, you know, I think it's got quite a good, a good moral to the story. It's very true to how teenage people speak, not necessarily all the slang and the lingo they're using, obviously, it's set in America and we're in the UK, but the way they speak to each other and the way they interact with each other, I think, uh, perfectly captures the way young people do act and uh, talk to each other. So I think a lot of people could relate to what was going on and how the characters were speaking and acting and dressing. Well, I suppose it's as well that the fact that even though, yeah, we are in the UK, I mean, me and you, and it's clearly got a following in the UK because obviously we, we are very Americanized, aren't we? So yeah. a lot of the way our like teenagers talk is the same as how American teenagers talk. I mean, to, today I heard two of my sixth form lads saying, let's bounce. <laughs> which, and they were both white, right? At which point I almost turned around and went, are you actually from South Central LA? You know, <laughs> like, let's, let's bounce. And one of them's got a really nerdy voice. So he's like, let's bounce. Right. <laughs> and, and, and so, you know, it's, <laughs> So yeah, they, you know, teenagers talk like yeah, like um, like Americans, don't they? So it, it kind of fits in that sense, I suppose. Yeah. So why, why then? I mean, you said earlier about um, it meaning something more to you. You know, it talking to you on a bit of a, a different level. When what do you mean by that? Is it is, is there more in this film than appears? I mean, when you talked about the uh, the trailer moment in inverted commas that may not be particularly true to uh, the film but is there is there a lot more like of an undercurrent in this film do you think that uh, people may not see on first blush um i think there's a lot of elements of um you know you could you could read into the anthropological aspects of it you know there's like say the different cliques and you know you've got the mean girls the plastics you've got the cool asians the asian nerds mm. bastard jocks art freaks so you know it's um how these different groups interact and like, like I said in, earlier on, it's a typical new kid at school, mm. but it's not just another new kid. It's like a child almost, you know, the character is Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great 
great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Someone plays Kade was homeschooled in Africa. Right. And um, this is the first time in a, a public school. So it's, it's completely eye-opening for her. And, you know, I, can, I think that's how a lot of a lot of new kids feel, you know, not just new kids who would feel from America, from a white background would feel. Mm. You have all these different characters, like she thinks, the the teacher thinks that the new student from Africa is the black girl from Michigan, (laughs) who she's not noticed at all ever in a class before. Yeah. So it's just little moments like that that I think it's it's quite a good social commentary on the way the world is today. Mm. Mm. So there's a bit more going on. Yeah, yeah, definitely, you know. The life that I can't say too much because obviously yeah. I'm trying to convince people to watch it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, the life lesson that she that you know inevitably is learned by the end of the film um, is very true, and I think a lot of people could do with coming to the same conclusion. Mm. Yeah. So I mean, what what is it that makes it your favourite film? I mean, there's all there's all kinds of different you know elements as to what goes into making someone's favourite film. And favourite, like I said at the beginning, doesn't have to mean the be- the film they think is the best film necessarily in terms of how it's made. I mean, my favourite film is certainly isn't what I consider to be the best film I've ever seen. It just is my favourite film. So if this is your favourite, then what? Why? What? What is it about Mean Girls that makes it the one you go and watch again and again and again? Personally, I absolutely love the script. I think Tina Fey did a brilliant job of it. She captured the spirit of the book perfectly. I've um... It's one of the rare occasions where I've watched the film before I've read the book. What book is, is, is it based on then? I didn't know. Um, Drama Queens and Wannabes, I think it's called. It's got a really long title. It's about right. four lines long, the title. <laughs> but it's something, oh, is it Teen Queens and Wannabes? It, it's something like, something to do with bees and wannabes. Okay. <laughs> but, um, she did, I think she did a really good job of capturing the spirit of what the book was about, mm. but in such a comedic way that you don't really realise that you're watching this social commentary that's going on, yeah. which I think helps endear it to such a young audience. And considering the target audience is teen girls, uh, Barack Obama has referenced the film twice on his Twitter account. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, uh, you know, it's not aimed at the president, but it's still reached yeah. the president. It just shows how, how it's endeared itself. Over the past 10 years. Why do I now have images of Obama getting all the chief of staff and the vice president round and going, okay, guys, in the Oval Office, okay, we're going to have a movie night. We're going to have a boys' movie night. And they're going, right, are we watching Aliens? No. Are we watching <laughs> uh, Die Hard? No. What's, what is it, Mr. President? It's Mean Girls. And then he turns around, <laughs> picks the telly on. Uh, that's why he got voted in. That's yeah. Wouldn't you love that? Wouldn't you love it if that was real? If that actually was like, <laughs> wouldn't you love it actually? If all the cabinet actually got together and had a movie night. They're like, you no, know, they're they're having a night off just all the war and you know running the country. Like, okay, guys, let's get some brewskis. I'd, I'd love that. That'd be the best thing. And if you mean girls, who's to say it doesn't happen? We don't know, do we? It does. Yeah, it does. Let's just assume it does. So, yeah, it's, it sounds like one of those... Um, well, you see, with Tina Fey involved, I mean, this was before anyone really knew Tina Fey, wasn't it? Yeah. I suppose, wasn't it, outside of the US? Because it's got the pedigree in Saturday Night Live, I suppose, yeah. and all this. So, with that, 
you know, that's that's immediately going to make it potentially a little bit, you know, more than just a typical teen bland comedy that a lot a lot of the time get written. So, with that kind of pedigree, it's no wonder that it's punching above it. its normal genre, really, isn't it? Yeah, it's, um, we've got a good young cast, but the adult cast, what little you do see of them, really do make an impression and do have some really memorable lines and stuff. Like, um, and um, Regina George, the Rachel McAdams character, her mum is one of my favourite characters from a film ever. It's <laughs> it's so over the top, but you know that there are mums out there that are like that, exactly like that. Yeah. So it's kind of got the, it's got that realism then, hasn't it, I suppose? It's got that, you know, heightened, you know... Yeah, it's, it's over-exaggerated for the normal people. But there will be people out there that are exactly yeah. like those characters and even more out there. Yeah. And it's based on a certain truth. Which is yeah. I suppose which is always the best kind of comedy in a way comes from that. Even even the stuff that's a bit mad, you know, and a bit like wacky and out there, there's always something in it that kind of people can understand and, you know, associate with, I think. Or there's a character. You yeah. Know? So for that to be you know, that maybe that's the secret to Mean Girls. Maybe that's the the reason it's so it's so popular. And and the fact it, it grossed, and I've just had a look at this, it, it had a seventeen million budget and it grossed hundred and twenty nine million in the end. Now that, that it's no wonder it got a sequel. Why it didn't get an actual sequel in the cinema, God knows, because that kind of profit margin is enormous. The only person involved was the principal from the first one in the sequel. Nobody else came back. No producers, no actors, no writers, nothing. Presumably they just wanted to make it that one good film, then, didn't they? Yeah, well, um, Tina Fey's currently trying to adapt it into a stage musical with her husband, who did the music for 30 Rock, currently trying to make it work as a stage musical. It's it's still going on, apparently... um, in an interview, she said Paramount uh, are involved as well. They're the ones who did the first one. So hopefully, that'll be coming to stage soon. How can that not be a hit? I mean, uh, <laughs> Bring It On wasn't. Bring It On bombed. Really? Yeah. But then Bring It On doesn't quite have the same like, no, no, status, it's not. does it? No. Really? It's, it's, it's a good end, but it's not mm. on par at all. Mm. Whereas Mean Girls is one of those that... People, you do hear people talking about. You know, it's 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 another it's another anchor man, isn't it? It's another yeah. cult hit that, even though maybe at the start not everyone knew about, it's grown over the years to the point now people are still watching it and they're still interested, and importantly, still quoting as well, yeah. and still talk and do the lines, and that's when you know you've got a comedy cult hit. I think really, it's one of those films that if we ever see it advertised on TV, uh, say it's a Saturday night and it's advertised for next Friday on Film Four, yeah. I'll get really excited. <laughs> wait till Friday yeah. to watch it on film four complain about the ad breaks <laughs> when on the Saturday night I could have just gone upstairs and put the DVD on <laughs> so um, but, but I think that that, yeah. that shows yeah. something about the film where I could just go watch it that night but I'll still wait and I'll watch it and then complain about the ad breaks but still watch it yeah it's almost like with, with your favourite film it's almost like a little bit of a, a religious thing isn't it you have to when it's on you have to have yeah. on, or, you know you have to watch I'm like that with mine. You know, you have to watch these these things when they're on uh, TV. <laughs> Even though you've got, yeah, you've got the DVD, you've got the Blu-ray, you've probably got <laughs> it on a digital copy somewhere. You know, it, it's not the point, is it, I suppose? But yeah, that's that's a good approximation, I think, of why 
people should watch Mean Girls then. Hopefully. Yeah, definitely. And I'm certainly going to watch it when it uh, next comes on film four, and maybe I'll argue about the uh, ad breaks as well. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, it was uh, Lindsay Lohan looking and probably even acting her best. So yeah. Yeah. I think this was a last, a last one before her troubles, shall we call them, started. Yes. Um, troubles I'm pretty much entirely attributing to Herbie fully loaded. Which <laughs> Yeah, we don't talk about that either. No, no, that should never be talked about and should be put <laughs> inside a deep hole for the rest of eternity. But, well, yeah. It was the awful I Know Who Killed Me, which is also one of the most awful film titles I've ever heard. Yeah, yeah, it's terrible. Because, yeah, um, unless it's about a ghost, then, you know... <laughs> It would have been better if it was about a ghost. Yeah, yeah, it's just dumb. So, yeah, maybe, maybe this is the one that people can fondly remember Lindsay Lohan, you know, for. And, yeah. Uh, and yeah, let's. Uh, let, I, I, I'm going to check it out. So, um, well, even, even if it's just for the uh, the breakout roles of the other cast members, yeah. barring Lacey Chabert, who didn't really do anything besides Black Christmas and TV movies. Yeah, but I think she was in um, uh, Lost in Space as well. Possibly. The remake of Lost in Space. I've not got a clue. I think. But anyway. Um, but yeah, thanks then, Luke. That's uh, that's great. So do you want to say one last thing about why people should watch it? Barack Obama tweets about it. It's, it's worth watching. <laughs> I'll say basically, you know, you don't get much, much higher than the President of the United States. If it's good enough for Barack, it's good enough for you. It's when you know you've made it. <laughs> okay. Brilliant. Then that's, that's the answer. Go watch Mean Girls. And uh, thanks very much, Luke. You're welcome. This next review will be done in the style of a man with a particular set of skills. It's non-stop. I hate flying. The lines, the crowds, the delays. I always kind of liked it. Six hours, one seat, nobody can get to you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard our non-stop service from New York to London. You fly much? All the time, actually. If you didn't understand uh, my really bad Liam Neeson impression there, <laughs> I'm talking about Nonstop, the brand new Liam Neeson action extravaganza to hit our cinema screens. Now, you know, in recent years, obviously, Liam Neeson has gone from being this really acclaimed actor, this really acclaimed guy who played Oscar Schindler and you know, Michael Collins and Rob Roy and all, all these people to be in the new age, big screen, Kiefer Sutherland, basically, you know. Um, and it all started, obviously, with Taken about six years ago, something like that, which no one expected to be as good as it was and be as exciting as it was and just reinvent Neeson as this, you know, middle-aged, absolute badass <laughs> and he's since gone on and done a bunch of, uh, of films along similar lines like you know Unknown which was which was average so, Taken 2 which unfortunately was not very good at all uh, sadly did not recapture the magic of the first film and now he's apparently signed up for Taken 3 which I have already subtitled uh, The Piss because that's just one Taken too many if you ask me anyway now he now he's in this little you know this little bubble of action and he's got this fairly limited I suppose time frame of being able to pull this off you know he's mid fifties 
he's probably realistically got about another five or ten years in which he can get away with doing this kind of thing before he gets a little bit too old. But everyone's enjoying it. Everyone's loving him in it, you know. And the cinema screening I went to see non-stop him was absolutely packed. It was it was about quarter to quarter to one uh, on a Saturday afternoon, and that's the earliest showing, and it was pretty full already. So I imagine later on in the night and throughout the day, it was gonna, they were going to be packing them in. So I, I imagine that non-stop is going to do good business. And it is because of Liam Neeson. There's no getting away from that. And non-stop, I thought, was a great deal of fun. But I've since been thinking, is it because it's necessarily a good film or is it simply because it's got Liam Neeson being this new age Liam Neeson of sit down or I'll put you down and all this kind of stuff with a gun, which is which is just great. And I, I, I would imagine, realistically, it is more the fact that it has Liam Neeson. I mean, you, you could say the same about Taken, really. You know, Taken probably would have been just a pulp load of rubbish without... You know Liam Neeson. As it turns out, it's a it's a really entertaining pulp load of rubbish that actually has this really acclaimed Oscar-winning genuine actor almost dumbing down, I suppose, in a way. But then he manages. He's got so much gravitas. He manages to make what really should be a load of trash into something really, really good, or really, really enjoyable at least, really fun. And that's how I felt with Nonstop, because Nonstop really doesn't really have the pretensions of being anything more than it is, you know. It, it it's it's got it wants it wants to be a couple of things really non-stop. It, it, the first half is a lot more, you know, tense escalation build up than the second half. The first half is is uh, kind of wants to be a little bit Hitchcock, I guess in a way because it's 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 got Liam Neeson as this air marshal on a flight from uh, I think it's Newark to London and uh, he's, he's comically, he's almost, it's almost a hilarious, it's almost a cliche, intentional cliche at the beginning because the first time we see Liam Neeson, he's in a car and he's got a, a bottle of whiskey and he's, he's staring at a picture of, of, a, of a daughter who's, who he's either lost or he's not with him and he's drinking and he really feels tormented and oh god, you know, and all this. It's great because you think this is just, this is so 80s, this is so like lethal weapon, you know, it's, it's fantastic. You kind of feel that must be intentional almost, you hope, one hopes anyway. And he, he gets on this plane, and we, we we steadily begin to learn he's an air marshal. And there's this other agent on the plane who works for the government. And they get up, they get up in the air, and he gets a text from a passenger on this secure network, the secure air marshal network, saying, "If you don't deposit 150 million dollars into an account, then I will kill a passenger every 20 minutes." And at first, he has to try and figure out who it is, and he doesn't really. No, and then somebody dies, and then the clock starts again, and he has to kind of try and figure it out. And things get more and more ludicrous from that point on. And it, it, but but ludicrous in a way that isn't groan worthy. You know, there's a difference. Sometimes you're watching a film and thinking, "Oh my god, this is this is this is ridiculous. This is rubbish. This is." But with nonstop, you're there going, "This is ridiculous. This is rubbish." But I'm actually really quite enjoying this, <laughs> and I've, I I found myself really getting quite sucked into it. And like I say. I think it's partly because it's Liam Neeson on screen. He's, he's such a magnetic presence. But it's also the fact that the story was actually quite good. You know, it's 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 nothing new. It's nothing revelatory. It's nothing... Um, it's, it's tapping into various things. Like I say, it's tapping into Hitchcock. It wants to be a little bit Brian De Palma at times. You know, it's got... It it, want, it, wants, it likes to think, I think, that it's tied up like a Swiss, Swiss watch and it's very clever and it's got lots of little twists and little clues and hints. And, you know, I, I'll be honest, I... When, when we get to the point where we finally do begin to unlock what's happening, that 
it was it was quite cleverly done. It was quite well done, really. It all descends in the end into being inevitably all action, complete nonsense, boom blast, you know, silliness. And that was always what was going to happen. You know, that was always it was always going to end up with Liam Neeson firing guns and kicking ass on a plane. So you, you, you're ready for that. But I felt that that payoff actually was well served because we'd had a good build-up where we get to know these passengers and they're, you know, they're fairly one-dimensional. Don't get me wrong. You know, there's the, there's the Muslim guy who gets on and there's lots of like, white people looking at him going, is he, is he a terrorist? Uh, 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 is he a terrorist? You know, you've got the quite gruff and maybe quite suspicious off-duty NYPD cop. You've got the asshole businessman. You know, you've got the little girl traveling on her own, although quite white, a little girl, a little 10 year old girl is traveling on her own on an airplane is beyond me. But anyway, you've got the little girl who Liam is really nice to her. Have this little tie, darling. And all this, you know, he's quite sweet to her. And, you know, it's all, it's all these little cliches, but they're, they're so they're one dimensional, but it, it, it works and it kind of builds up. And, you know, it's kind of you kind of may guess who the villain is kind of because they do drop enough of a clue, really. And but quite how we get there is a, is quite well done. It's quite well paced. Although I don't think it all quite connects. But this was never going to. The only real strange point to this was Je- was Julianne Moore, because I don't quite know what the point of her was in this film. She she's ostensibly this woman who's sitting next to Liam Neeson, who's who's wants to have a, a window seat because whatever reason we find out later. It's a bit you know contrived, but. And she, you know, there's a, there's a little bit of enigmatic thing about her. I think she's purely there to make us think maybe she's the villain because A, it's Julianne Moore and she's a, you know, a big actress. And B, we know so little about her compared to everyone else. You can't actually pin down who or what she is. You know, each of them have got like a little quirk to them. She doesn't. She's just there. She's a woman on the plane. So, and so it's, so it's like, well, what's the point of her? You know, what is, what's the point of her there? And it, it, it's, and even at the end, I'm still not quite sure, really. So it's got a couple of things there that, that, that don't make sense. But from a character perspective, it, it has all these different characters. It has Neeson gruffly running around, you know, telling them to be quiet, you know, doing things and getting more and more into, into a real mess uh, until it just does explode. And, and like I say, it comes off and it's all, it's all extremely daft. And, you know, the director, um, Jean Collet Serra, however you say his name, he tries to put a little bit of polemic in there about, you know, post 9-11 security that oddly enough feels quite old hat these days. I mean, I know, I know it's only been 13 years since, since 9-11 uh, coming up, but you know, we, we grew out of making these, these films quite a while ago, didn't we? These, you know, all oh, 9-11 has changed the world. Oh, that means we need to comment on it. You know, it's it, yeah. Okay. It changed the world, but it was a while ago now. We don't really need to have, you know, all, I don't know. It just, it seemed old fashioned, strangely enough. It seemed very noughties, you know, last, last decade. And it's a bitch, it's quite shoehorned in, but it gets away with it simply for the fact that Khaled Sarah isn't trying to make a really profound polemic film. He just wants to entertain, you know, he just wants to keep a little, a little, fairly tight little plot rolling. He mainly wants Neeson to be strutting around being badass, and he is, and he's eternally watchable through this film. And so there's no real pretensions beyond that. And, and you know, it, it's a daft little thriller. It's got it's got beats of humour. It could have maybe been a little bit funnier, and it could have maybe been a little bit more nod and a wink slightly. But it 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 is in a way. It does I think kind of almost self awareness. You know, know how much of an action legend Neeson is, and play up to it slightly at times. But it's not one of those films that's going to be quotable. It's not one of those. It's not a tell. There's no taking moments. You know, a, a particular set of skills. I will find you. There's nothing like that in this. You know, it's not that level of, of slightly action movie iconic. 
um, which is a shame. But it's it's good. It's it's fun. It's entertaining. I was I found myself realizing that oh, actually, we're like an, over an hour in, and I haven't once sort of wondered, you know, w- what time it is or anything. I, I was I was quite hooked, really. Even though you've seen this before, it's nothing new. It doesn't rewrite the book, and doubtless there'll be a lot of people out there who think it's just pap. But I was entertained. I quite enjoyed it. Whether it be as good on the second watch, I don't know. But I think the fact is that Neeson makes this film what it is. And I think without him, it would be, you know, it wouldn't really get off the off the taxi off the runway, let's put it that way. But it's worth it's worth a watch and you may go in there and have a bit of an action blast, which sometimes, you know, it's all you need. We're running out of time. Did you hear me? <laughs> I'm trying to save it. Sadly, that's all we have time for in this episode of Black Hole Cinema. Hopefully you've enjoyed these new film reviews. You're also in for a treat soon because there is going to be a special Oscars podcast that I'll be doing for that. And we'll be talking about uh, the Oscar results which will be coming up fairly soon. We're going to hopefully time it so it's fairly current, so we'll be able to dissect everything based on my Oscar predictions from previous podcast as well. So look forward to that this week at some point. Uh, hopefully you've enjoyed this one, and you can follow me on Twitter. And again, leave me any thoughts uh, that you might be having, any suggestions, any improvements. If you ever, if you wanted to be on the show, like uh, my friend Luke was, uh, let me know, drop me a line. We might be able to sort it out, talk about film got plenty of ideas of things I can do so uh, we'll see how that goes but uh, for now we're going to call it a day and thank you for listening I will see you next time Hold up, what was that? Boring, no flavour That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.